Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Romans. Put them up to the book of Romans in the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. The 15th chapter of the book of Romans. And as we... As we get together this morning, we have a unique opportunity. In fact, every time we gather together, we have a unique opportunity. And that opportunity is to glorify God together. We're all here together in this season for that purpose, in fact. And this morning, we'll be looking at a passage of Scripture, looking at that mindset of the fact that as a body of Believers, as a body of believers gathered here, we are to be seeking to glorify God together. And you've heard me say before, you've heard me preach before, that all of us here were created to glorify God. That is the purpose that we were all created for, was that we would glorify God. We are made individually to glorify God. But also as a group, as we gather together, as the bride of Christ, as the church the body that is meant to display the glory of Christ on this earth, we are gathered that we might glorify God together. So this morning we will look at at three ideas from this text on how that we can glorify God together. And would you please stand in honor and reverence of the holy words of our holy God in the book of Romans chapter 15, and we'll begin in verse 7. And therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord. All ye Gentiles, laud him, all ye peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse. And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father God, as we gather here this morning, Lord, God, we ask that you would bind any spirit from this place that is not your Holy Spirit, Lord God. God, we pray that any negative thought, any any minuscule pain or distraction, God, would be removed at this point so that we might worship you through the preached word. God, change our lives as only you can. Let your spirit reign among us. And it is in your precious name that we pray as all of God's people say. And you may be seated. First thing we're going to look at today is the edict to ministry. Now when I sent this to Miss Loretta, she texted me back. She said, are you sure it's edict to ministry? Did I get that right? I must confess, 
Some weeks I spend a lot of time in the thesaurus trying to find a word that starts with a particular letter. I was looking for the command ministry, the only thesaurus word that started with an E to go with the other two points that went with command was edict. So now you've all learned a new ministry. The edict to ministry is the call or the command to ministry. So I needed an E, but I didn't want any confusion. I didn't want you all sitting here through the whole message going, what was edict? Or looking at Google on your phone. So the edict is the command or the call to our ministry. And the first thing we see there in verse 7, the very first thing we see is the word therefore. And so we see that that's one of those bridge words. You've heard me say that before. It is a kind of a connector word. So when you see the word therefore or in as or because of or any of those phrases in Scripture, what we know already is this. That is a bridge. It is connecting two thoughts. And so when, when he writes therefore, he is literally connecting. He's saying, so, so in other words, in light of the things that I've just written, in light of what I've already written, I'm fixing to tell you something else. And so, so he's saying, in light of, and we can look back and we say, well, what, what's it in light of? What are these words in light of? Because if we're going to read the Bible, we have to take it in context. So what is the, the context that's being set with that word, therefore? Well, all the way back in chapter 14, we start to see this idea as Paul is writing to the Romans. And we see him start to put this idea out of receiving in new believers. And I would even suggest that not just new believers, but receiving in those who aren't believers yet would be a proper application as well. So receiving people into our fold as a body. In other words, he's kind of bridging this gap. He's starting in verse chapter 14. He's starting to talk about the fact that those who are weak in the faith, those who are new in the faith, need to be welcomed into our fold and brought in. And so we should bring them in for the purpose of discipleship if they are new believers and for the purpose of evangelism if they are not believers. And so we should bring them in. Chapter 15, we see another idea introduced. He starts to introduce the thought of bearing one another's burdens. And isn't that a wonderful part of being a part of the family of God, particularly being part of a local fellowship. There is not a much better feeling to me than to know when things are tough, to know when things are bearing down on me, to know when I'm sick or I don't feel well or when I'm struggling or, or when I, I just can't connect the dots and I don't know what I'm going to do, to know that I can pick up the phone and call any number of people from this local fellowship, that is a comfort to me. That is a good feeling to know. Now, I don't know about the rest of you. Apparently, I'm preaching to people who never need anybody to pray for. But if you've ever picked up the phone and called your church family and asked them to pray, could you, could you slip your hand up? Yeah. So five of you, thank goodness. A few of you like prayer. But listen, for those of you who haven't, it's available, and that's part of being a part of the local fellowship is you can reach out and you can say, hey, I'm struggling, I need some help. Hey, I'm struggling, I need some prayer. And we bear one another's burdens. And so that idea is introduced at the, part, at the start of chapter 15. And then we come to verse 7, and so he kind of says, Therefore, so in light of bringing people into your fold, accepting them as part of your fold, not excluding them or leaving them out, bringing them into bearing one another's burdens, making them welcome to share their burdens and to, to take part in that and worship together. In light of all those things, we're going to give you some things that you should be doing as a body together. And so we kind of see that introduced in verse 7. And so he says, therefore, do what? He says, receive one another just as Christ also received us. And then he kind of finishes that sentence. It says, to the what? To the glory of God. 
Now, I'm not an extremely intelligent person, and I don't need any comments about that. But when it says, to the glory of God. Now, if I know, if I'm a good Bible student, and I've been listening to my preacher, and I know all of you have been listening to your preacher this morning, and you heard me say that in our lives we are made to glorify God, and as a body we are brought together to glorify God. If I see something written on the page that says, if you do this, it'll be done to the glory of God, I'm just smart enough to back up and pay attention to what it said. If I'm supposed to bring glory to God, and he's going to give me something I should be doing to bring glory to God, I need to pay attention to that little set of directions. And so God gives us some instruction here, right here in in verse 7. We could almost preach the entire message out of verse 7, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to preach for about an hour and a half out of verse 7, then we'll move on. But it says first, therefore, receive. And that word in and of itself is an interesting word. We're going to see receiving. It means literally to take in. To take in actively is what it means. So, So to take in actively. And so let's think about what it says. How are we to take them in? The same way that Christ also received us. Well, how did Christ receive us? Did he require any prerequisite of us? Did we have to fill out a Jesus Christ acceptance card prior to accepting Jesus as our Savior? Did we have to make sure that we put uh, the past two years 1099s and the last two weeks bank statements or whatever? Did we have to bring any of that to the table in order for Jesus Christ to receive us? Well, of course not. We didn't even have to come in. and We, we didn't have to come in and say, here's what makes me worthy to be saved, Jesus. Will you please save me? We didn't have to send off an email. We didn't have to send in a letter. None of that. Why? Because Scripture says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say that we have to fill out any prerequisites or, or reach anything. So it says we are to take people in in the same way that Christ took us in. So we are not to, to look to people and see what they can do to improve our standing. We're to look to people and see what we can do to introduce them to Christ. And we are to be actively seeking to do that. That's the other part of the word that I really want us to focus on. So we're supposed to be bringing people in. I think that not just as Rocky Valley Baptist Church, but as the church in America, as the church in the world, most churches would do a good job of bringing people in if they were to walk in the door. So as we gather together as a church, if somebody were to make their way in the front door during the times when we are having the church service, most churches in America would do a very good job of walking back to the back and shaking their hand and showing them where a seat is and telling them that we're glad they came. We're good with that part of the word receive, of the taking in of those who come among us. But I don't know that we do such a good job by fully receiving in the way that Christ received because it's an active receiving. And so it means that we're not only to take them in, we're not only to accept them when they come, but we're to be active in that action of bringing them into our fold. So what in the world does that mean? Just as Christ sought to save our souls, just just as our salvation is an act of grace, an act of grace alone that he would even offer salvation to us, We are to be sharing that grace of Jesus Christ actively with anybody we come in contact with and everywhere we can go. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Do we have that one? Most of you know it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what does that say? What's that first word? Come on now, you can read better than that. What's the first word? Go. It doesn't say stay 
And when they come, make disciples out of them. It doesn't say, hang out where you're at, and when they walk by, reach out and put them in the fishing net and make disciples out of them. No, it says, go. Go fishing. Go cast your net. Go share the gospel. Go make disciples. Go tell them about Jesus. It's an active receiving that we are to be doing if we're going to bring glory to God. Go and make Christ followers. And so how do we do that? Do we beat them over the head by the gospel and say, you got to look better, you got to act better, you got to do better, you need to be better, you need to put on these clothes, you need to act like, come on, you need to do these things. No, we share the gospel the same way that Paul and Peter and Silas and Barnabas and all of those great teachers in the New Testament did when we see that the gospel of Jesus exploded in a mighty way. What do we see them preaching everywhere they went? Jesus That worship video that Miss Loretta played was perfect because what was the one thing they had to share everywhere they went? Jesus. That's all they needed. You know what you need today to share the gospel? There you go. Jesus, that's all you needed. All you've got to be able to do to share the gospel of Jesus is say, Jesus saves. That's it. If you can say those two words, you can start a gospel conversation with someone. You can say, this is what Jesus has done for me. What's the worst thing they're going to do? Say, he hasn't done that for me. Say, well, he can. He did it for me. What are they going to say? I don't want to. Did they punch you in the nose? Not usually. I've never been punched in the nose for sharing the gospel of Jesus. If I ever do, I'll count the cost and say it was well worth it. My goodness, Paul sat in a jail cell sharing Jesus. I've never been threatened with jail for sharing Jesus. And so who do we share the gospel with? Do we have Matthew 25, 40? You guys have no idea. Miss Loretta is amazing. And the king will answer them and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. So Jesus says, who are we to share the gospel with? Well, inasmuch as we do it to the least of those among us, We're doing it for God. We're doing it for Jesus. We're bringing glory to God by sharing the gospel with anyone. We don't qualify people. We don't quantify what they can do. We don't share the gospel and look at them and go, I bet that'll be a good Sunday school teacher one day. No, we share the gospel and say, I bet Jesus can save their soul. I bet Jesus can save their soul. And that's the only motivation that we should need to share the gospel with someone. So we are to be actively seeking to share the gospel in order to bring in those who don't know the Savior or who are babes in Christ. And we should remember, though, because we have this bad habit. We have this bad habit of getting holy and sanctimonious and and judging people and deciding who's worth Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 5 through 10. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by what? Grace. Not by your merits, is it? Say anything about what you're worth? Say anything about what you brought to the table? By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We tend to forget those verses, don't we? 
We tend to forget that it was by His grace alone that we were saved, that we didn't bring anything holy to the table. Do you realize that? As you quantify who you're going to share the gospel with, you need to remember first and foremost that you brought nothing holy to the table. There was not one redeemable quality inside of you. There was nothing about you that was worthy of salvation. In fact, everything about you was worthy of hell. That's what you deserved. That's what you had made. That's what you had bought. That's what you were heading to. But for the grace of Jesus Christ, he saved your soul. He saved your soul by his grace, not of yourself. Why? Because if it was something you brought to the table, you know what you'd do? You wouldn't give Jesus the credit. You'd point to what you brought to the table. That's just how we're made. Yeah, Jesus did an awful lot, but boy, I was really, really good at praying. No, you weren't good at anything. There was not one redeemable quality. So if you had not one redeemable quality... And you were able to call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. Why in the world would you be looking to people and, and qualifying them before you share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Why as a church would we not be out trying to tell the whole entire world about a Jesus Christ who could save them? The end of verse 7, it says, to the glory of God. So, so we receive those actively the way that Christ received us to the glory of God. That phrase, to the glory of God, literally means into an honorable or praiseworthy position before God. To bring them to an honorable or praiseworthy position before God. And so I don't know about you guys. But when I think about the fact that by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, he can save someone, that he can somehow use somebody as unworthy as me to speak his gospel, that someone might get saved, and they can go from a position of dishonor to a position of honor before God, that absolutely amazes me. It absolutely amazes me. It amazes me that God did it in my life. It amazes me that God does it in the lives of others. So what does it mean to be honorable or in a position of praise before God? Well, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So what you earned with your sin is death. Romans 3.23 says that everybody has sinned. And Romans 5.12 says that through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death entered with it. So what does all that mean? That means that we were all born into this world with a debt of sin. And the penalty of that sin was death. And that not one of us is pardoned from that death of sin. Not one of us is pardoned from that debt of sin. So we are all born in a position where we are not found honorable and praiseworthy before God. We're all born that way with a debt of sin, but for the grace of God. Scripture tells us in Habakkuk 1.13 that God cannot look upon sin with favor. And so as sinners, we are looked upon as dishonorable before God. I'm just going to stop right there just for, just for one second. This is free. What motivation under heaven might we as the children of God need to share the gospel other than the knowledge that there are still so many that are not found in a favorable position before God? What other motivation do we need? If that doesn't motivate us, there's something wrong with us. I'm just going to be honest, if, if that doesn't motivate you to share the gospel with someone, just simply, it should be enough for me to say, hey, there's still people going to hell. And if you've been saved, that should be enough for you to go, wait a minute, I got to tell, I got to, I mean, I got to do something about this. 
That's just not, I mean, I, I can't stand for this. I can't sit quietly and watch this happen. I got to go tell somebody about Jesus. I got to be part of this. Now, this is where it gets good, though. So we're found dishonorable before God. We're found out of favor with God as a result of our sin. But how do we obtain that position of favor with God? Only one. Right, there's only one Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Do we have that? Yes, we have that one. Of course we have it. If we didn't, we would have it before I got there. Let's just say, for he, that's God the Father. For God the Father made him, that's Jesus Christ the Son. For God the Father made Jesus Christ, who didn't know sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for who? Us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Hang on just a minute. The wages of sin is death. All of us are worthy of death. We all deserve death. But God... The Father made Jesus the Son who never sinned to become our sin for us that we might know the righteousness of God in him. Hang on, let me tell you that again. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be counted as righteous before God. Not of anything we did, not of anything we deserve. So hang on just a minute. That means that the wages of sin were death. But Jesus Christ strapped that penalty to the tree on Calvary's hill. He said, I'm going to take this debt of sin. God, who must punish sin, who must look unfavorably upon sin, looked upon it at the cross and poured out all of his wrath upon that sin. That those of us who receive Christ Jesus might not be held accountable for our sin. That when God looks upon us, while he should see dishonor, he sees Jesus. While he should see no favor, he sees Jesus. While he should see nothing worthy, he sees Jesus. Why? Because when we accept Jesus Christ, we take his payment for our sins in place of our own payment for our sins. So that we might be found favorable before God. Now friend, I don't know about you, unless you have no sin and unless you're perfect. That should be awfully good news to you. And why would we keep that to ourselves? It would be like having the cure to all cancer. You've got a two-liter bottle full of some cancer cure. And you're going to keep it in your refrigerator while people die all around you. Does that make sense? Is there one among you who possessing the cure to a dreaded disease would keep it to yourself and not share it with someone who is dying? Of course not. And yet, and yet every day, every day the bride of Christ sits silently with a cure for what ails people and says nothing while people die all around us. We just sit silently and watch people die all around us, never once proclaiming the Jesus Christ that could save them. Never once telling them what Christ did for them. So why, when we have the gospel at our fingertips, why will we not share it? So we have this command, this edict to ministry. If we're going to glorify God together as a church, we need to be sharing Jesus together as a church. We need to be sharing this gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. You know, I've said this before, but 
lot of times we come in and we, we think, well, I'm not really called to share the gospel. That's the preacher's job. That's the deacon's job. That's the Sunday school teacher's job. That's, that's this person's job. I'm not really good at that, Brother Jason. I'm not really good at telling people about Jesus. Well, let me just, let's just go about it from a practical standpoint. If the evangelism plan for Rocky Valley Baptist Church is for Brother Jason to tell as many people about Jesus as he can, how many people can I tell about Jesus in a week? Seven? One a day? Fourteen? Can I get two a day maybe? Twenty-one if I don't prepare a Sunday evening sermon? Twenty-eight maybe? I don't know. How many can I possibly tell? But what if we all told one person about Jesus this whole week? I mean, here today there's well over a hundred people that would be told about Jesus if we just decided that we were all going to tell one about Jesus. Now just think about that from a standpoint. There's no way we can be effective as a church if we're not all active in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. So we have this command to ministry, the call to share the gospel. Next, let us look at the example of ministry. We're going to go through this one pretty quick. The example of ministry. God doesn't just tell us to share the gospel and leave us alone. He gives us an example. In fact, he doesn't just give us any example. He gives us the example, the best example in Christ Jesus, starting in verse 8. He says, now, I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision. That word servant literally means minister. He has become a minister to the circumcision. Well, who in the world is a circumcision? That's the Jewish people. That's the blood descendants of Abraham. Those who were under the Abrahamic covenant that's described in Genesis 17, 10 through 14. You can write it down. We're not going to go there this morning for the sake of time. But that's where the decree and the promise is given to Abraham. It says, you guys are going to cut your flesh so the men are going to be circumcised. And that will be a sign of the covenant. And so the Jewish people would be set apart by the circumcision. And it was part of the promises that, Jesus, that God had given to Abraham. And so it says Jesus came and he fulfilled these promises. He kind of showed the commitment to these promises that God made to Abraham. Well, God had made the promise that Abraham would be the father of many nations. He would have many descendants. He'd be the father of many, many, many nations. And then it goes on and it says, what did Jesus do to help fulfill that promise? He began to glorify God to the Gentiles. And so we begin to see that the Gentiles come into the fold as a result of the Messiah and the coming Messiah that was promised, okay? And so because Jesus brought salvation to all those who would believe on them, whether they were Jew or Gentile, whether they were Greek, whatever they were, because Jesus brought salvation and they would become heirs of Abraham at that point, descendants of God, he fulfilled his promise to make Abraham the father of many nations. Now these three verses in the Old Testament, we're going to, again, we're going to go through this one pretty quick. This first verse that we see, it comes from Psalms. The third verse comes from Psalms. Second verse comes from Deuteronomy. And the last from Isaiah. So why is that important, Brother Jason? Well, what he's done in his writing here is he's called from three different places in the Old Testament the example of Jesus sharing to the Gentiles his glory. One that Moses had written, two that David had written, and then the prophet Isaiah. So he took from the three major places in the Old Testament... And so what does that mean? It is an example to all those because what was the Jews' big holdup? 
What was their, always their big holdup? Well, only those who are born right, only those who are, are born under the circumcision, only those who are born in this standing can have a right standing with God. What does Jesus fulfill as the Messiah? He says it has nothing to do with how you're born. It has to do with how you believe and who is your heart belong to and have you been set apart and saved by Jesus Christ. So what can we take from these verses real quick? That God's promises are always fulfilled. God made a promise to Abraham and he fulfilled it and he continues to fulfill it. God is always going to do what he said he was going to do. Because he's always done what he said he was going to do. We can take faith that God is a faithful God. He's never let us down. He fulfilled these covenants. He fulfilled these promises and he continues to do so. We were talking the other night in our Wednesday night class about Rahab the harlot. And how God, through his spies, made a promise to Rahab the harlot. And how he not only delivered her, he not only kept his promise, but he went well above and beyond what, he, what the call of duty was, so to speak. He not only got her off the wall and kept her family alive as she had asked, but then he gave her a good standing among the people and she would eventually be in the line of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. So he not only redeemed her, he redeemed her and he used her, he saved her and he, and he moved her forward from where, he wa- from where she was. And so God is faithful to deliver on his promises. And we can also see that all the people of all the nations are to be ministered to. And so if all the people of all the nations can be saved, who are we to try and pick and choose who we're going to share the gospel with? Who are we to pick and choose who's going to be our neighbor who's in need of mercy? So first, the edict to ministry. Second, the example of ministry. And finally this morning, I want us to look at verse 13 for a few minutes. At the enabling for ministry. Look at how 13 starts. Now may the God of Hope. The God of hope. That word for hope literally means the God of the expectation of things to come. To have an expectation of things that are coming. Now think of that. Think of that in relation to the world. How many people in the world have a good expectation of what is coming? How many people in the world have a true Hope, have a high expectation of what is coming. Do you realize that as children of God, we are the only people on this entire planet that have a positive outlook in terms of hope? Let me tell you what I mean. What is there to hope for if you're not a believer? Your next paycheck? It's just going to get spent. The day of retirement? You're just going to get bored. When you finally hit a hole in one, you're just going to want to hit another one. If you believe in reincarnation, your hope is in what? That I live this life good enough to get to live it again? It's not all that hopeful. If you just believe that we exist and then cease to exist, is that what your hope is? Is that, boy, I hope one day I cease to exist? Doesn't make much sense, does it? If you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not saved, what is there eternally to hope for? Nobody else has an eternal answer to that question. My friends, my hope is this. 
My hope is this. My hope is in this. This world, it's not my home. My hope is not in this world. My hope is in an eternity in heaven. My hope is that this is just a stop on my trip to share Jesus Christ with everybody. My whole purpose of being here on this temporary stay is that I might tell enough people about Jesus until Jesus calls me home to sit and glorify Him in person. That I might glorify Him in this short trip here on earth. However long it is, it's just a short trip because I believe my eternity is to be present with God. If I'm here on this earth a hundred years, it's just a short trip, just a blink of an eye to an eternity being present with God. My hope is not in anything of this world. My hope is not in anything of this earth. My hope is not in in any riches it's not in anything that happens it's not in any car it's not in any house if any of you want to buy me a car that's fine I'll like it but it's not where my hope is my hope is in Jesus Christ my hope is in an eternity in heaven and so we sit with a hopeless world with a people who if they don't no, God, they don't have an eternal hope. And here we have in our possession the God of hope. And we don't want to tell them about it. Let the God of hope do what? What will the God of hope do? He'll fill you with all joy and peace that you may do what? Abound in hope. What can God do? He can't just give you a little bit of hope. He can give you more hope than you can handle. He can give you more joy than you can handle, more peace than you can handle. That word peace literally means the rest attained when all the essential parts are joined together. Think of that for a minute. Peace comes when all your essential parts are joined together. You've experienced that in your lives maybe for a, for, a, for a spell. Everything falls into place and you got that moment where you take a deep breath and then you realize that you need something else to fall in place that you can be peaceful again. So what, what does that mean that peace only comes when we get saved, that we only have the peace through Jesus Christ? Well, think about it. We're made to glorify God. And if you're not saved, you're not glorifying God. If you're not saved, you're not looked at with a position of favor before God. All of your parts are not in order. You had not got all your parts in order yet. Have you ever noticed the tumultuous life that seems to surround a lost person's life most of the time? Now I realize that we have plenty of hardships as Christians, but we, have, we, sh we should have a different outlook on them. But do you ever notice that someone that doesn't know Jesus Christ just seems to live continuously in, in a state of craziness? In a state of, of I, I, just, I can't get my world straightened out, everything's spinning around me faster than I can stand it, and I don't have any peace. Well, of course you don't have any peace. You don't have any peace because the essential parts in your life are not in line yet. Your essential parts are not in line because you've not in, been introduced to the Prince of Peace, the one who can put those things in line by putting you in a standing before God of favor. And until you get to that place where you can glorify God in your life, you will not have peace but the God of hope 
can save your soul and fill you with joy and give you that peace that you long for. Those last words. How's he do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Very good. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Brother Jason, it's hard to share the gospel. Yes, it can be. The only way you can do it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what else? The only way it's going to amount to an eternal hill of beans is by the power of the Holy Spirit. That word power, Brother Rick Coram uses this analogy a lot. That word power comes from the word dynamo. It's where we get the word dynamic or dynamite. And it means the power of the Holy Spirit is literally an unexplainable, dynamic, dynamite-like power. We can't understand it. We don't understand how it works. But my friends, if we will just take part in it, we will see it happen before our very eyes. The power of the Holy Spirit can cause the peaceless to become peaceful. can cause the dead to live, the lame to walk, and the lost to be saved. It's not anything we do. We didn't do anything to get saved. It was by the grace of God. And when we share the gospel, it's not in how eloquent our tongue is. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So just open your mouth and let Jesus come out. Just open your mouth and let Jesus come out. That's the only way we're going to share the gospel. And that is the only way that we're going to glorify God as a body of believers. Is if we are actively seeking to bring people in by telling them about Jesus. Now, I just told you what we need to do. How many of us will do it? How many of us will walk out of here with a passion to tell somebody about Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you. And God, we recognize that we're not worthy. God, we're not worthy to share your gospel. We're not worthy to be saved. We're not worthy of anything. Any, anything that we uh, try to bring, God, it's just filthy rags before you. But God, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That by your grace, we've been saved. And that as believers, as children of God, our call and our command is to tell others about Jesus Christ and his gospel. To tell others that Jesus saves. That they can't clean themselves up, that they don't have to, to fill out any checklist. They just have to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And God, we could stand on the promise that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So God, burden our hearts. Put somebody in each of our minds right now that we need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. And give us the courage to do that. But God, in this house, 
God, I believe that in this house this morning, there's somebody who came in hopeless. Who came in hopeless. God, would you give them the courage to cry out to the God of hope and place their trust in you that there might be peace and rest and hope that they have longed for for so long. Give them the courage to accept you as their Savior, Lord Jesus. And it is in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.